Welcome in Crossing State Lines, episode 148. It is Jake Morocco. It is Dave Albiani. Dave, what is good? Uh, you know, not much. Not much is going on right now. Uh, I, fe- I feel like every time we, we come into these uh, during quarantine, it's kind of like the same thing. And we open up with like, oh, well, it was a hot one today. Like, <laughs> yeah. like I feel like we're living in the suburbs with, with uh, next to Mac and Dennis. It does feel that way. It does feel that way. But we have a... An interesting topic today. So, Dave, we put out a, a call for ideas for episodes if, like about a month ago. I don't know how I lost. I've lost all track of time as everybody else has. And uh, one of the responses uh, was about '90s sports movies. And that man that put the response down is on with us today to talk about '90s sports movies. Is Mike Rea of Nail PR? Mike, what's good? Hey guys, thanks for having me on. This is going to be fun. I, I figure the you got to have an old guy sitting around the table who actually saw these movies in theaters. <laughs> Well, uh, I don't see any old guys around here, so we'll have to, we'll have to find out <laughs> first. So uh, what we're going to do is akin to our uh, Adult Swim and uh, a couple other episodes we've done where we kind of just run stuff down, maybe do a quick top three at the end of our favorites, but we're going to start in 1990, go down to 1999, and just run down a bunch of sports movies that we saw, maybe some of us didn't see, because there's definitely a few on here I have no recollection of ever seeing in my life. So uh, actually, we start with one of those, because I've heard of this movie, but I've actually never seen it. And it's one of those movies that I think people either kind of like or it's just one you ridicule. Uh, That's Days of Thunder. came out in 1990. stars Tom Cruise. I believe Nicole Kidman's in this. And uh, my guy, one of my favorite actors, Carrie Elwes, also in it. Uh, Beyond that, I know absolutely nothing about it other than the fact it's about racing. So I'll defer to Mike on this one. Yeah, so I got to tell you, I haven't actually seen... I don't think I've seen this full movie head on, but... Growing up in the D.C. suburbs, there was the the version of Six Flags, or, or uh, it was King's Dominion, um, in Central Virginia, and they had the Days of Thunder ride, which is one of those like first 4D experiences where everything rode around. So the only real experience I had with this movie was going on waiting on a 45 minute line in the blistering sun, and then going in and seeing Tom Cruise in this little preamble to the ride. And then it just taking you all out and throwing you straight basically into the screen and jerking you every which way. And then you get off and you go back on the line and do it again. Yeah, that's that's about the most we can get out of Days of Thunder. Apparently critics didn't love it. On Rotten Tomatoes, got a 38%. The audience score is a little bit more favorable. That's 60. And for those who follow Rotten Tomatoes, that's the lowest score you can have without being rotten. So apparently people kind of enjoyed it. Uh, from what I can gather, Tom Cruise is a race car driver. I believe. I have no idea. I've never seen the movie. But I know it's about race car driving, and it's about uh, apparently thunderous days. But other than that, uh, I know nothing about Days of Thunder. Dave, do you have any idea about Days of Thunder? Uh, I've actually never seen it either. Um, But looking at it, uh, it seems like a pretty good cast. I mean, you also have to take into account, though, this is the 1990s, so I think some of these people are kind of just getting their break, whether it's And Dave Rose. He'll be back in a second. But you know what? None of us have seen Days of Thunder. So uh, we'll just move right along. I couldn't find any for 1991, oddly enough. I think I could be wrong. Maybe Major League 2 was 91. That could have been 94. I actually don't remember. But I didn't put it on the list. uh, Because that would have had to talk about Major League. And that came out in the late 80s. So, you know, it's a whole thing. But we'll go in 1992. There were four movies in 1992. We'll start with White Men Can't Jump. Another movie that, unfortunately, I have not seen. But this one's a little bit more revered than Days of Thunder. Obviously stars Woody Harrelson. Um, Mike, do you have any recollection of uh, any memories of White Men Can't Jump? Yeah, I mean, I've got to say, so, I, great film uh, to, to start it off. I, I probably have not watched this one 
going back to probably my freshman year of college. Mm-hmm. Um, what I would actually love to kind of see is, is putting this one kind of in the perspective of where we are today and where you know, the, the, the conversation on race is moving, where the conversation around uh, what, what with Black Lives Matter and how this would actually hold up and how this would, would fit in with where we, where we are today. Um, this is one of the first rated R movies that I remember watching. Um, I do believe that I watched the original version in the, the family style version when they cleaned it up for TNT or TBS. Mm. Um, but again, it's a, I never, when I think of the nineties movies when I think of nineties sports movies, it's about the, the, the family, the kids movies that were really that real genre. But this is one of those ones where it kind of bridged that divide of that, that you, it gave you that adult humor, gave that adult uh, grittiness. It built off of, the type of stuff that uh, looks like Spike Lee were putting out in the late '80s, early '90s. A lot of the conversation you got to remember: this is the same time um, that Fox was first coming on, and Fox did a ton of pop culture geared towards black audiences, Latino audiences, uh, city audiences, compared to what the the ABC, NBC, CBS were doing. So it fit into you know, that conversation, that dialogue that was happening at the time. Um, but again, uh, one after seeing it on the list, when we first started talking about this episode was on my list of this is one that I know that if we're stuck in quarantine for another three months, I'm putting into the TBR. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I've personally, it's on my list of sports movies. I need to say like days of thunder, not exactly on that list, but I've heard enough. And like you just, you, you put it very well. It's, it's a movie, especially uh, poignant in, uh, in our times right now. And, yeah, I mean, you got to love Wesley Snipes and Woody Harrelson. It's a good combination. Rosie Perez is in there, too. It's generally liked by critics. got a pretty good score. So I, I'll, I'll have to check it out. Dave, have you seen White Man Can't Jump? I have. Se- I saw it a while back. Um, I only remember bits and pieces of it. But I know it was, it was written and directed by Ron Shelton, who actually also did Bull Durham. That's right. Um, yeah, so, I mean, it, it obviously has good roots. And I know... I remember Woody Harrelson in this movie, and Wesley Snipes was was awesome. Uh, but it's one of those where uh, I remember that it was good, but I need I need to rewatch it because I need to know why it was so good. And I I think with sports movies especially, you, you kind of get they drown out after a while because a lot of them are just so similar. But this was actually I remember it being different too. So it wasn't always it wasn't like nowadays where it's. Remember the Titans mm-hmm. and Blindside and like all the basic stories are the same. It's like the arc is just the same thing every time. Yeah, remember the Titans right. and then on the other end of the spectrum, Bull Durham, Field of Dreams, and Major League just missed this list by a couple of years, which they would have been great movies to talk about, but unfortunately. Right. But you actually but you've got to actually consider the fact that this list and these night this ninety genre would not have been possible without those first couple of things in the late 80s with the baseball movies, with the revival of, of Kevin Costner's career. Mm. But even those all tie back, and, and, and so much of the, the shtick and so much of the, the humor that comes into some of these ones that we'll get to later on as the decade goes along, have their roots in things like Slapshot and uh, the early 80s goofball-style spoof movies. Um, that then they inserted teenage characters into when you get into things like Mighty Ducks and the Sandlot and Little Big League and, and Little Giants. And uh, quick aside, you know, you mentioned something there, Mike. This isn't about sports, really, but you mentioned it's one of the first rated R movies you saw, which got me thinking, what was the first rated R movie I saw? And I'm pretty sure it was Scream. <laughs> oh my god which did scar me for a long long time I, I think i saw it when i was like six or seven years old and i definitely wasn't supposed to see it 
<laughs> it scarred me for a long time. Dave, you remember the first radar movie you saw? Uh, I'm pretty sure mine was My Cousin Vinny. <laughs> well, that was actually mine too. That was my wow. first rated R movie. Well, that is a much less scarring, scarring it's, movie to no. watch. I mean, it's, no, it, I might, honest, there, oh, wasn't, there wasn't any sports in My Cousin Vinny, unfortunately. No, but I, so I've got a sports connection to it. Uh, the reason that I was allowed, that was the first major league, or I'm sorry, the first rated R movie that I was allowed to watch because my really, you know, are we allowed to curse on this? Oh, yeah. Uh, my really shitty CYO baseball team got no hit that afternoon. So my father came home and he said, fuck it, I'm going to get you guys into a better mood. And he put on My Cousin Vinny. <laughs> That's great. My Cousin Vinny is one of those movies where, I mean, it's up there amongst, I mean, it's not a courtroom drama, so to speak, but it's like My Cousin Vinny and then above it is A Few Good Men. Those are probably my two favorite courtroom movies. I've, I was watching, I've watched A Few Good Men like four times in the past week. So that is, a, that is technically a sports movie too. Let's, let's be real. There's a lot of softball talk in that movie. So, A Few Good Men, technically, sports movie in the 90s. We're in 92, so we might as well mention it. Um, all right, so moving on, we have uh, another cinematic masterpiece. This is Ladybugs. Apparently, it's a Rodney Dangerfield soccer comedy. Um, I have never... I, this is like when you hear the legend of something, but like you've never actually... Like, it's like, you know, you've seen the, like, the legend of like, the Loch Ness Monster... But you never really seen the Loch Ness monster. Uh, David said he's restarting his computer. I can't see him right now, so he's gonna do that. But uh, Ladybugs, Mike, have you seen Ladybugs? I'll actually confess to the fact that I have seen this movie. I remember watching this in my cousin's basement in Buffalo um, at, after a family barbecue. Um, I remember very little of what actually happened in the movie, what the plot was other than the fact that as a nine or 10 year old watching it, I had a crush on one of the characters. <laughs> uh, it's, that's, that's something every kid watching movies that, you know, it, it happens. Uh, ladybug. Let me see if I can find some sort of synopsis here. Uh, to climb the corporate ladder's success, a guy agrees to coach the company's all girls soccer team with the help of his secret weapon, his fiance's son. Yeah, that sounds pretty problematic. Especially. Right. They, that's right. This is the one they dressed up Jonathan Brandis to be the boy on the girls' team, um, and ran, he was a star on whatever soccer team he was on in the in the the other league in Dangerfield. Just wanted to win by all means. It was almost like a bad, like a really bad spin on Bad News Bears. That sounds about right. Yeah, that does sound bad. I, I um, yeah, that 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 sounds. Accurate, except I don't think we'll be seeing a uh, Billy Bob Thornton remake of Ladybugs anytime soon. No, and that that's a uh, no, that, that's a that's that's a story for a different day. Bad News Bears the remake for the worst sports movie remakes. We'll to have to put that one in the can for that one. Um, but yeah, Ladybugs. I think we've afforded the proper amount of oxygen for that movie. So uh, moving on to a couple of bona fide classics, we have A League of Their Own, which is obviously Tom Hanks, Gina Davis, Madonna, Rosie O'Donnell. I love A League of Their Own. And it's propelled by a lot of great performances, but Tom Hanks, I think, above all, is is so friggin' funny in this movie. And I mean, you look you look like a penis with a little hat on, and going after the umpires, and obviously the most iconic line in the movie: "There's no crying in baseball." I love a league of their own, and it, it's not on TV very often. But when it's on TV, I do try to catch it because I love this movie. This is one, I would put this not only on a pantheon of sports movies, I'd put this on a pantheon of just outright movies of, of my lifetime. This was 
such a smart script. Tom Hanks was perfectly cast uh, in in the role. Uh, Gina Davis is amazing still to this day. I think one of the best sports roles that anyone's ever played. Um, my wife and I were actually talking about this one on our way up uh, on our what we were driving earlier this week, and, and we figured out is this is our uh, eight year old, almost nine year old daughter at the age yet to sit down and watch this one. Um, we've been looking for different movies that put women in, in different roles. Um, and it's one where I think I got to rip the bandaid off and just say, you know, what, we're watching this. It's time for her to you know, see Tom Hanks in, in the role of his lifetime. The role of his lifetime. You think I got, I mean, he's, he's been in, he's been amazing in everything he's in, but this one, when I think of Tom Hanks, I think of the tobacco spitting drunk, laying on his back in the dugout, screaming at the umpires and done in a way that you feel that you never feel sorry for him. You're never upset with him. You want to just give him a hug and you want him to be your coach and your manager, even in his most deplorable state in that movie. And it just works. It's the, the, it, it, it embodies what growing up playing little league baseball, wanting to dive head first into second base belt. And what's amazing about that is that it was a movie about women's baseball that got, the, the guys on my teams growing up to want to play that kind of scrappy level baseball. Yeah, I mean, a, a league of their own, If I would definitely, at the very least, it is one of Tom Hanks' three or four best performances. And like you said, he's been, he's amazing in pretty much everything he does, save for a couple of uh, Dan Brown adaptations. But <laughs> it it is definitely one of his most iconic roles. I mean, it's up there with... You know, whatever you think of Forrest Gump, one way or the other, it's definitely one of his more iconic roles. Philadelphia, uh, Castaway. There's just so many that he's been. I mean, he, another movie that Penny Marshall directed was big. That was really his, no pun intended, big breakout role was in that movie. So it it's no wonder that they ended up working well together anyway. So uh, Dave, a league of their own. Yeah, I, I like it a lot. Um, I had seen it a few times when I was younger, and. I mean, I th- I think one of the cool parts about it is like the sibling sibling rivalry throughout the whole movie, uh, and I think it's just like very relatable to anyone really because if you're not an only child and you have brothers or sisters, you're always trying to be better than them at everything, whether it's games or sports or anything, and I I think that's such a cool aspect to it. And obviously, like you guys said, a lot of great performances throughout. Gina Davis, Tom Hanks, uh, Lori Petty as Kit as, as the sister, so lots of great performances. Hell yeah. Another one in 1992, closing out the year, we have the Mighty Ducks. I mean, what else do we need to say about the Mighty Ducks? You got Gordon Bombay. It's it's just one of the more enjoyable, like, turn-your-brain-off kids' movies. It's, it's just a great movie. So I got to say, on this one, we when quarantine started, we went through, my, my family and I went through kind of the list of what were the movies that we grew up with and, and put on. And there are a couple of them that were, and we'll get to Sandlot, we'll get to a couple of the others that were on that list. But Mighty Ducks is really high up on it. We put it on. It doesn't hold up. It doesn't hold up into 2020 in the way that some of these other ones do. The And, and when I went back and I looked, I was trying to figure out why. And there were a handful of, of, of spots. I think, number one, none of the kids can skate. They can't actually play hockey, which is just like something that gripes at me a little bit. But then you go into you realize Disney really didn't put any money into it. They had they didn't think that this was going to be a real hit. They didn't think it was going to be a script that was going to work. So they kind of just like rushed it out. It was probably going to end up being a direct to VHS type thing. And for whatever reason, it captured people's attention. Um, so just did, that level of it just didn't hold up. 
but I could not get myself past it. And I'd never noticed this as a kid, but I could not get myself past the fact that the Ducks, who went 1-15-1 over the course of the season or something to that degree, didn't have the eight seed in the playoffs and got to play the Hawks in the finals. If it were an actual playoff structure, the Ducks would have been able to wobble their way into the playoffs and would have met the Hawks in the first round and gotten smoked because they wouldn't have been able to do all the whole montage about they figured out how to actually play the game. And that just drives, it just breaks that. I can't get myself over that part. That's fine. I mean, I understand that. It's I haven't seen it in a while, but yeah, from what I remember, I remember you know enjoying it for what it was. I, maybe that's just because I haven't seen it since I was a kid. <laughs> maybe that's why. But uh, Dave, do you have any fond memories of the Mighty Ducks? Um, I mean, I I think it's one of those movies where, as a kid, you hype it up more than it actually is supposed to like stand. And I think I think Mike brought up a good point. Like they didn't put, or both you guys said actually, they didn't put a lot of money in it, and. Like skating wise, it's awful. Like you can tell, none of them know how to skate. None of them really even know how to play hockey, really. And uh, it's just, I, I think certainly we'll get into the other ones later. But I think this is obviously the best one. Um, and that's obviously, I think that's my opinion. But I don't know what you guys think. But uh, I, I think it's, it was probably very. When I first saw it the first time, it was very fun. We'll put, we'll put a pin in the Mighty Ducks discussion until we get to 1994 because they pumped out these sequels pretty quick. 93, you could argue, might be the best year so far for overall for sports movies. So first you have The Sandlot, which I actually couldn't find when that was released day-wise because I tried to put these in as close to chronological order as I could. I, this is the only one that I Googled, and it said released 1993, so apologies for that. But The Sandlot, 1993, I mean, it's The Sandlot. It's, an, it's a classic. Every kid, it's pretty much a rite of passage for kids that love baseball. They've got to see the movie. It's so quotable. It's, you know, everything about it just, you know, it brims in nostalgia. So The Sandlot, I mean, what else can I say about it? I'll, I'll throw the floor to you guys. It's a classic. This one is, without question, my favorite on the list. The, you just, you, you hit it right on the nose. And I think the fact that we, there's 15 years between us and you've got the same kind of nostalgia for it and it holds up the same way with you. I watched this one about a year ago with my daughter and as a 37 year old i was still laughing at the same things that i did as a 12 year old when the movie first came out um and the, going back to like what we were just saying with the mighty ducks part of what made it work the production value is great the script is great but all of those kids could play they knew they were able to play ball their swings looked real they could throw they could hit they knew what their positioning could be it looked like an authentic baseball film it looked like you're actually watching kids play uh in a sandlot um but to this day i will never not laugh at the scene when they go to the amusement park and they dip into the bag of chaw and just start going hog wild over everybody that's there it is one of the greatest scenes in all of film that i remember seeing as a kid Yeah, and it's uh, it's. I feel like the Sandlot. You guys obviously both talked about it too. It, it's a classic, and I think it's one of those movies where no matter how old you are, you can watch it and enjoy it. And I think each time you watch it at different ages, you get a little bit something different out of it. Um, and I think what's interesting is Jake. We actually on the streaming draft, Ken actually drafted this, That's and right. we had one of the most uh, you know prosperous discussions. 
on on this movie because we were talking about how you know people dressed up as squirts for Halloween, and it's just it's one of those things where you can always look back fondly on this movie, and it's a comfort movie really. You can put it on and you get sucked into it. People will say like, "Oh, I put on a movie and I don't really pay attention." This is one of those movies where you put on, you're like, all right, I'm probably not going to pay attention. And then you slowly find yourself just getting sucked in. And before you know it, like 25 minutes in, you're completely engrossed in it. Yeah, 1,000%. It's, it's, it, what's also awesome about it is like, they do such a good job with the character development of every single person that's in the film. And you go, like, everyone knows Squint and you know his whole backstory. Everybody knows Smalls, you know his backstory. You know Benny, you know, yeah, yeah. Like, you get, it's not just like they're introducing one or two characters and they give them one line and then they go off and do something else. By the end of that movie, when they do the whole recap of where everybody is, that flash forward makes sense for each one of those characters because they were able to give them enough screen time. They were able to give them enough depth that you were able to get more out of it, which is why I think it holds up. This is a movie that I know like 30 years from now, I'll still be watching and, and my kids will be watching and, and it will be a part of our nomenclature. Classics are classics for a reason. Moving on to Rookie of the Year, another baseball movie that came out in 1993. We got Henry Henry Rowengarner, a name I still mess up all the time. Rosenberger. Rosenberger. Um, he is he's 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 a, he's a stud out there on the mound. Let me tell you, he's he's out, he's out he's killing it out there. And I this might be the last time. In 1993, was this the last time that Gary Busey was like lucid? <laughs> I mean, to find Lucid, he there, there was a little bit of a grump, I and mean, I think he kind of played a little bit of like a caricature of what I think we all wanted Kurt Schilling to be before he went off the deep end. Same initials too, Chet Stedman, Kurt Schilling. <laughs> is there a, is there a preemptive connection? Potentially. <laughs> uh, this is a great one. It was I didn't realize that the that. Rookie of the Year and Sandlot came out in such rapid succession. That summer, uh, and that would have been my summer between fifth and sixth grade, was a, a good year at the Dollar Twenty Five Movie Theater. By the time we got to the end of that, um, this is a fun one too. My um, the, the and at the time I was a my father was a Mets fan, so watching that one and seeing the Mets held up as the big bad team to to try to beat is still just slightly comical. What about you, Dave? This is one of those movies, I don't honestly, I don't think I've even seen it a full time. Like, I think it's one of the movies that I've seen on Freeform or whatever that, that's been on, and you catch a few minutes of it, and then, you know, you're either, you know, 45 minutes in, or there's 15 minutes left. I don't think I've seen the full, because I know I've seen parts of it. Dave knows, and everybody, everybody knows me knows, I am a huge John Candy fan. And I can't believe I haven't seen Cool Runnings. It's on Disney Plus. I can watch it anytime I want. I was going to say, it's, it's streaming right now. I think you've got homework to do as soon as we're done with this. All right, you know what? Oh, absolutely. You know, Emily has been texting me the past three movies, and I just need to say that, first of all, she hates The Sandlot and Rookie of the Year, and now she's on me because I haven't seen Cool Runnings. And I, I said I wouldn't say anything about The Sandlot, and then Rookie of the Year got to me, and now she's outing me on this, and I just had to bring it up. She is getting on me for not seeing Cool Runnings. I'm sorry, all right? I'll watch it. It'll be the next movie I see. All right, there we go. Fine, I got a nod out of her there. But Cool Runnings, I'll, I'll give the floor to you guys since you've actually seen it. I'll let you lead Dave, off. Go ahead. Uh, this, this one's just fun. It's a, and what's cool that is, it was a story that I think was so undertold, or, because or, remember, this is 
pre-internet, pre, uh, pre-Twitter, pre-Facebook. So you didn't have these like feel good things that, that would be like brought into like these little snippets. So, like the whole story of the Jamaican bobsled team, no one knew the back end of it. We just knew the, we, that we seen it from the Olympics in, in 88, um, that they went down the hill, they crashed, but you didn't know anything more about the whole background of it. You didn't know anything about John Candy's character. I actually found the, the story development, what brought the four guys onto the team to be one of the best parts of the movie, but the comic relief that's put into it, the, the, the way that they're able to come together as a team. And then you just feel for them at the end where you just see like the, just the, the pure reaction of what it's like to have been a part of something and get yourself to the end was just amazing. It's a tearjerker. And it's, there's a reason that Disney made it. It's, it's a perfect Disney ending. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I, I think one unique aspect to this movie is it's incredibly funny early on. Like, there's right. a lot of really funny jokes, and um, there's a lot of really good characters, too. Uh, like, you have, like, Doris uh, is obviously the captain, but Sanka, uh, Sanka I think his, his name is, he's the one that, that provides all the humor. Like, he's hilarious. Uh, one of my favorite scenes is when they're at the airport in Toronto, and they go out and they see it snowing, so they put the duffel bag. He puts the duffel bag on himself, and he puts his entire wardrobe on to keep himself warm. Right. I'm still convinced that friends stole that bit from Cool Runnings when Joey came into the apartment wearing all of Chandler's clothes. Oh, he def- they definitely did. I mean, it wouldn't be the first time friends stole something from, from other something funnier, but you know, like that. our time. <laughs> Damn, that's, that's 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 dark. Um, uh, no, that's 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 fine. That's fine. That's good. That's fine. You know, it's it's. All right. we, we're we're pro Seinfeld one here. I mean, you could be pro both, but we are just very much anti friends on this podcast. But uh, moving on to a movie I have seen, and let me tell you right now, I hate this movie, and that's Rudy. Uh, I hate Rudy. I've never found it, and maybe it's just because I don't really like Notre Dame. And I've never really found anything about it inspirational. And I don't like Vince Vaughn. Like, really, every, I like Sean Astin. I've always, I've liked him pretty much everything else he's done. But I just don't like Rudy. I've never really, it's just never really struck a chord for me. I think you're right that there's a, if, if you're not a Notre Dame fan, you don't have the same nostalgia for this movie that, that other people do. The only, I have one friend who went to BC who loves it, and he's ridiculed by all of his classmates. <laughs> I'm kind of like on this one. I'm agnostic. I think it's a decent movie. I think that there's I can get I can understand where some people fall on to the I love it in the same way. Like to me, Field of Dreams is one of the perfect movies out there, one of the perfect films. Um, but I know that's because I'm a baseball fan more than I'm a football fan, and I, I think that if you're a football fan more than a baseball fan, this one might fall into that same trap. But I'm, I'm kind of with you, Jake. I'm, this one doesn't do it for me. Yeah, I I think you got a good, you got a good point there about if you don't go to Notre Dame it doesn't have the same nostalgia for you and I also agree about Field of Dreams I see a lot of I see a lot of Field of Dreams slander out there man and I I have to really temper myself because I want to lash out because I love Field of Dreams which is funny because I hate Kevin Costner but I love Field of Dreams uh, it's like kind of like a few good men where I love a few good men but I really don't like Tom Cruise but it's it's a movie that is just such a classic and it's so perfect. But when we do 80 sports movies, we'll get to that one. But because uh, that's also a pretty, uh, pretty, pretty deep, deep field to talk about. But yeah, Rudy just just doesn't just really doesn't do it for me. Dave, if, are you a Rudy stan? I do not like Rudy. Uh, I think it's I think it's a little bit too long. And Rudy was offsides, by the way. But uh, 
that's that's beside the point. Uh, I just don't. I don't think it's like a super. I don't think it's a great movie. Like I don't think the value of it. Like if you're a Notre Dame fan, like you guys had mentioned, I think the story kind of means a little bit more to you because. It's like the underdog role. It's from your university. You have school pride, whatever it may be. But I think for a lot of people, it's just Notre Dame has a lot of dislike in, among college football just because, you know, teams that win or at least have a lot of popularity also have a lot of negative um, following, like the Patriots did, like the Warriors, the Lakers. Teams that have had success will have negative following as well. So I think I think this is one of those movies, and I – I don't know. I, I just think the movie is vastly, vastly overrated. Rudy stinks. We all agree. Anyway, uh, moving on to 94. We have six movies in 94. It's a very, very good year for sports movies. Well, generally good year. We start with one I haven't seen, but I've definitely heard the soundtrack, and that's Above the Rim. This is the uh, Tupac Shakur movie, and the soundtrack clocks in at about a movie length, 77 minutes, actually almost 78. And... Um, I know this because I, for my friends, for their birthdays, I, I made some, uh, some playlists of the Hot 100 from the day they were born, and a lot of my friends, like me, were born in 94, and one of my friends, I was doing the little playlist, and like eight of the songs were the um, Above the Rim soundtrack, and the song that I would, so if you asked me, Mike, what year were you born? Not to, not to put you on the spot. 83. 83. So if I were to say what song... F- do you think when you when I say 1983, what's the first song that comes to mind? Oh, I mean the Thriller album was out that year, so it, I, I, Thriller or, or Billie Jean or something else from that album had to have been number one when I was born. So I would say the song that comes to mind when you say 1994, at least hit songs. For some reason, the first song that comes to mind is "Regulate" by Warren G. That's the first song that comes to mind about 94. It's a great song, but that's also on this soundtrack. That's the connection to "Above the Rim," but. Above the Rim, a great soundtrack, a movie, unfortunately, that I have never seen. I don't know if you guys have seen Above the Rim. Mike, have you seen Above the Rim? Because I've never personally seen Above the Rim. I know, Dave, you've never seen Above the Rim. Mike, have you seen the movie? I got to confess, and I know that I'm going to really offend Dan McGowan. I've not seen Above the Rim. I do remember the whole soundtrack. I do remember the, uh, the, the hype around it, but it's not a movie that I remember seeing. Yeah, and uh, Dan McGowan, if you are if you are listening, uh, we are so sorry. If you want to send us a dispatch to, uh, about above the rim, we will happily take it. Uh, so moving on to oh, I don't have the list in front of me, son of a bitch. Uh, list, where is it? Now that above the rim. All right, D two, the Mighty Ducks. I've seen some people say personally, unfortunately, shamefully, I have never seen D two, but I have heard people say that D two is better than the Mighty Ducks. Would you guys like to weigh in on that? I, d- I disagree. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for oh, I mean, I know I just shit on Ducks One a little bit earlier, but it was more just saying that it didn't hold up. I remember loving Ducks, like the original Ducks as a kid. D two was fun. It was definitely like, they were cashing in on the fact that that D one did such a good job, um, but a almost as unnecessary of a sequel as D three. Um, because there was enough hype, there was enough excitement about that. But remember, they had to roll out a new hockey team in Anaheim. They needed something to be able to put a new logo on, and this was their means to get themselves there. Um, fun movie. It was one that I think I remember getting at Blockbuster once or twice, but it was not one like Sandlot or, or even the original Ducks that was a monthly or every other month rental. Yeah, I... Uh... I have not seen D2, but I will take your guys' word for it that it is not better 
than the Mighty Ducks. So a another another it's a, it's a, it's a mark against ninety four. Could doesn't hold a candle to ninety two. Mighty Ducks takes uh, takes the advantage there. Maybe D three, but I doubt it. Uh, Little Big League. This is a movie I've heard good things about. Little Big League, but uh, unfortunately have not seen it. From what I understand, it's about a twelve year old boy that takes over the Minnesota Twins. Um, but I mean, I like the premise. That's cool. Uh, unfortunately, though, I've not seen it. This is another one you got to put into your homework assignment. Okay. It's a, this is a fun one. It, again, it's not, you don't necessarily walk around. You're not going to see people with t-shirts with any quotes from this movie, but it's a fun, perfectly innocent sports movie from the, from that time where, the kid kind of takes this ragtag uh, twins team after his grandfather dies and he becomes the owner and takes them into a place where they get onto their winning ways. And just like all of these sports movies, the, the kids, if I remember correctly, the kid's mom falls in love with one of the players. There's always that kind of like side romance story with the mom or with the sister or with someone in it somewhere along the line to be able to have it be the, the, the whole family movie. And it's almost like you look back on it, it's like that cliche of like, what's a movie that my parents are going to be able to take me, my sister and my brother to. And it's like, Mike likes baseball. Kelly will be there for the story. And we just need enough popcorn to keep Chris interested. <laughs> um, I gotta say, I'm disappointed because if the nineties are known for anything, it's great movie taglines. And this one is only just the Minnesota twins have a new owner. It's not even clever. It's, <laughs> it's like, you could try it's to like, you could try to, it's just a fact. That's like calling It's like saying happy Gilmore. Like, this hockey player is playing golf now. Like, okay, that's the conceit, but what? Like, can you give me something a little snappier than that? Uh, but Little Big League, uh, I've heard it's sort of a cult favorite, but you know what? That's, that's fine. I'll have to put it on my list. Like you said, Mike, I will have to, after cool runnings, I'll check out Little Big League. I'll just run through the 90s. Um, Angels in the Outfield. This is also from 94. Like I said, 94, a pretty robust year for sports movies. Angels in the Outfield, you know what? I pretty much like just about anything Danny Glover does, so just him being in this movie makes me enjoy it, but I, I generally like Angels of the Outfield. I haven't seen it in a while, but if it's on TV, I'll, I'll probably try to catch part of it, but it is that usual, you know, Disney chipper feel to it, so uh, I like Angels in the Outfield. This is a fun I, one, too. Go, go, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I haven't even seen this one, so... I was right. gonna say uh, it's all it's all on Mike there. <laughs> yeah, no, this is this is a fun, like this is one too where it's again it's another one of those stories. It's a sports movie with kind of that inspiring family story on the back end um, that you tell the whole way through, and you've got um, God, I'm trying to blank on the on the on his name, but from third, at the time he was on Thirty Rock from the Sun or Third Rock from the Sun, Joseph Gordon. Um, Joseph Gordon led it in, in the first thing that he he really kind of stood out on. And it's a fun story. It's a, it's a, it, you feel good at the end of it. Um, Christopher Lloyd is hysterical throughout it, um, playing the lead angel. Um, and, and the one that Joseph Gordon let it, let it's able to see through, throughout the, the whole, well, as he's going to the games. Um, the thing that's disappointed is that they did a couple of really crappy straight to VHS, straight to Disney channel, uh, sequels on this that just really took a lot of the air out of the original. Yeah, that, that it does suck when stuff like that happens because it it's you know it's a money grab or it's just to get people's eyes on it. But it's you, know, you you try to at least separate the original from 
the shitty directed DVD sequels. Like when I think of the Little Mermaid, I don't think of the Little Mermaid two or you know Pocahontas two or whatever they tried to pull. But um, but yeah, I mean I like Angels in the Outfield. I'll try to you know respect it for what it is. It's a pretty good kids movie, pretty good Disney movie, and you know Christopher Lloyd's in it, Danny Glover's in it. I mean you can't get much better than that. So, um, the next one is kind of not you know what the category is about. It's a documentary, but I feel like we can't go without mentioning Hoop Dreams. This came out in 94 also. It is, I would say, I don't think I have to do research on this one because I'm just going to guess it's the longest movie on this list. It's almost three hours long. Uh, it's directed by Steve James. And like I said, it's a documentary. And this is probably the one I'm most ashamed to say I've never seen because I've heard nothing but it's almost unanimously loved by critics and everybody I've spoken to has seen it loves this movie. But I have personally never seen Hoop Dreams and I'm very ashamed to admit that. Yeah, I had, I remember watching this as a in in high school. I probably watched it once or twice in college. I think the biggest takeaway from this is without this movie, you don't have some of the really great sports documentaries. Thirty for Thirty doesn't happen without hoop dreams. The uh, Last Dance doesn't happen without hoop dreams. This was the film that really put onto the radar the fact that you can make an interesting, compelling, serious-minded documentary about sports that's going to have crossover pop culture appeal. Dave, you seen Hoop Dreams? I have not. No, I have not. Um, I, for a minute, I thought it was uh, a different movie, and then you said it was a documentary, and I was like, I, I definitely haven't seen it now. <laughs> uh, no, but I had to put it on here because while it's, I think this is the only documentary on this list, I mean, unless you count Basketball, which is pretty much as good as a documentary, but Hoop Dreams is pretty much the only documentary on here, but you, like Mike said, you, it's, 30 for 30 and stuff like that, it, it does not happen without Who Dreams. It's, you know, it's, it's a classic revered by everybody. Just look at the poster of the movie. I mean, all the glowing reviews of it, and it's got to be on my list. I mean, yes, the, the length is a bit daunting, but you know what? As anybody would, you know, I'm sure Dave in my subconscious would be saying, you saw Avengers Endgame in theaters five times. You could probably sit through Hoop Dreams once. But that, that besides the point. The last movie of 1994 is Little Giants. And let me just tell you right now, we did not appreciate Rick Moranis enough when he was still doing movies. Yes, he's coming back for that little, uh, not Little Shop of I wish they were doing a Little Shop of Horror with him, but he's coming back for that Honey, I Shrunk the Kids sequel, whatever the hell they're doing with it. But this man was such a lovable person to watch on screen. I love Rick Moranis. There's few actors that I watch in movies and I'm just like, I would step in front of a truck for this man. I love Rick Moranis. I guess I completely forgot about this movie until I saw the, until we saw the list uh, earlier this week. This is, I remember it being fun. I remember it being the, 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 the scrappy underdog um, and kind of that first like introduction into what Friday night lights could become. Um, but not one that would, if I were to put together the list of 15 movies, 15 sports movies from my childhood, I think I would have totally forgotten about this one. What about you, Dave? Uh, yeah, I've, I've never, uh, I've never seen this one either. Um, and it's always amazing looking at this list because I've seen a lot of movies and you have too, Jake. And we're looking at this list and we're like, damn. We're missing out on a lot of on a lot of classics here. We got to add to our cues on on Netflix and Disney Plus and Hulu or wherever these movies are. And I actually, I just thought of another one too that's actually a ninety fiver. 
uh, Basketball Diaries with Nate, with Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh, it's great movie. Yeah, that's a great movie. It's a good segue too. That's the that's the next year we're heading into. I only have one movie for that year, but before we get into '95, uh, you could touch on Basketball Diaries in a second. But I just want to say this was the last, the second to last major motion picture that Rick Moranis starred in, like live action. It was Big Bully after that in '96. That was the last time. He was on cinema screens. He did a direct-to-video, Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves sequel, and then he's been in some animated stuff since then. But that is, this is one of the last times we saw Rick Moranis in a uh, major motion picture. But 95, uh, Basketball Diaries, go ahead. Did we lose him again? Is Dave gone no, again? No, no, Dave's gone again? <laughs> no, he's back. Dave, are you back? He froze. Well, we were going to talk about Basketball Diaries. We'll, we'll circle back to that. Let's hit the big green first. That was the actual 1995 movie I had on my list. This is one that I remember hearing people say in college that they loved this movie growing up. And honest, to, it was it was I was well not friends. We were more enemies. But this kid that I knew in college was a soccer player, and he was always you know raving about the big green and how good it was. And I was like, what the hell is the big green? I've never heard of this movie, and I've never heard anybody of my generation disparage this movie. But I've never really had any incentive to see it. Mike, have you ever seen The Big Green? I remember seeing it as a kid. The, the, if I remember correctly, the goalie was the was Ham from The Sandlot. But I think that's really the only thing that I can remember about it. Maybe one of the kids from Pete and Pete might have been in it, who was also in Mighty Ducks. And it almost like to me felt like it was one of those movies that they kind of just said, it's like, you're like the 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 A minus and, and and B plus actors from all these other sports movies. Let's go put them into something about soccer because we just had the World Cup and it was popular. Um, and let's see if we can t- uh, make some money off of it. Which it looks like they did. It looks like it did all right. Looking at at, at some of the, the 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 background on it. Yeah, it looks like it's all right. And yeah, you're right. He was in it. And uh, the other big name was uh, Steve Gutenberg. Everybody loves Steve Gutenberg. Everybody's a big big Steve Gutenberg fan. All the Police Academy movies, classic. Uh, but yeah, uh, yeah, Ham was in it, Big Green, you know, take advantage of it, you know, he was trying to make that money, I get it, people loved him, it's, it's, it's understandable. Is Dave back yet? I can't see us yet. Uh, there he is, Dave is back. I'm here. Dave, you want to touch on the basketball diaries before we leave 95? Okay, yeah, um, basketball diaries, I actually saw in high school, uh, during one of our classes, and DiCaprio's really good in this, he's really, really young, uh, and he basically, he plays a basketball player, and he ends up getting addicted to drugs, and his mom basically has to call the cops on him, Jesus. like to get to help him kick his habit. And uh, it's just—it's a very, very serious movie. Like, there's not a lot of like humor or anything in it, but it's just a very good movie. It's just overall, it's very powerful, and um, I think DiCaprio is is awesome in it. And you can really kind of tell what he's, you know, his potential in it. You don't want to say what he he's gonna become because you never know, um, but. His potential and it's obvious. He's a, he does a great job in it. Yeah, Mike, anything to add on Basketball Diaries? No, I don't remember it well enough to be able to go in depth, but I just remember it being a great film. Hey, Leonardo DiCaprio's in it. It's more than likely going to be a great film. Let's talk about Shutter Island. But moving on to '96, we have six movies here as well, and boy, oh boy, are there some classics here. Let's start with maybe my favorite movie on this list, and that is Happy Gilmore. I love Happy Gilmore. It's one of my 15 favorite movies of all time. It is one of the movies I quote the most. It is, I think it's Adam Sandler's best comedy, and he had a a really good run there in the 90s, and I think Wedding Singer is up there too, but I love Happy Gilmore. I think his, 
Sandler plays a lot of characters that are kind of unbelievable. Not kind of, that's being generous. But unbelievable, where it's like they're the perfect mix of really talented and really nice, but really misunderstood. And I feel like this is one of his better portrayals of a really flawed person just trying to do something good. Because you you know, you see you see him trying to control that anger and control that frustration because he wants to do something good for his grandmother, but he has a really hard time tethering that rage. Uh, but I think beyond just you know a, a good story overall, it's got some of the funniest moments I think of any sports movie in the nineties. I love Happy Gilmore. I think it's one of the best PG thirteen comedies ever made. Yeah, this is a great one. It's it's just gonna like hit that perfect mix of just nineties over the top kind of comedy that comes off of Saturday Night Live. Um, there was a it's a good story behind it. I thought the 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 writing on it was great. I didn't know I, one little piece of trivia on it, which I think is really kind of interesting, is that Kevin Costner turned down Shooter McGavin yeah. um, to go make Tin Cup. Uh, so going from one golf movie to another, um, but the casting on it was just incredible. Like the the um, Julie Bowen uh, kind of stepping in and kind of making a name for herself in in the first uh, in this uh, film for the first time. Um, but Carl Weathers as Chubbs was, made that movie. He, I think, is the, the glue that keeps everything in there together and really brings that kind of, well, the moral uh, compass to the, the absurdity, but also why, uh, drives into so much of the comedy that comes out of it. Dave Alligator bit my hand off. Uh, Dave, before, but I, know, I know what Dave's going to bring up because I know one of Dave's favorite parts of this movie, and he goes uncredited in the movie as well. Oh yeah, Ben Stiller is fantastic in this movie. Unbelievable! Uh, he's he's so funny, and it's just like it's so unexpected when you're watching it the first time you see it. Like, and he's just like such a nice guy, and he's like, "Oh, can I trouble you for?" And Grandma's like, "Can I trouble you for a glass of warm milk? You can trouble me for a warm glass. But shut the hell up! <laughs> Read the name tag, Grandma. You're in my house now. You will go to sleep. I'll put you to sleep. Check out the and, name tag." Uh, it's uh this movie actually I thought it would have made a lot more money than it did and granted obviously the the budgets and the and the uh profits weren't as big back then it's just because the box office is way more money now at the at the theater but this only made 31 million dollars. The budget was 10 and the in the in the overall um net profit or net margin was 41. Um which is which is really weird because I bet you guys couldn't tell me what made more, this or uh, uh, Caddyshack? Well, it's got to be Caddyshack, right? This made more than Caddyshack by $3 million. I wonder, wow. I mean, adjusted, I wonder if adjusted for inflation obviously be more, but like, that's still pretty crazy that even back then, Caddyshack only made $28 million. That's and, wild. And a, yeah, and another movie we'll talk about later with Sandler, uh, more than quadrupled this movie. Uh, before, actually, Ben Stiller, you bring up a good point because we're close enough to 95. I didn't put this on the list because I didn't really consider it a sports movie. Do you guys consider Heavyweights a sports movie? Ooh. Because I don't consider it a sports movie. Yeah. I don't, I don't know so. if I'd put it in, I don't know if I'd put it in the category, at least not compared to a lot of the other 90s sports movies. When you're yeah. talking, by and large, these are, it's, what I think is unique about the 90s family sports movie genre. And some of these aren't, don't necessarily all fall into that family genre, but there is a, a common thread of 
teamwork, collaboration in it together. And so I think so many of these films were their teams, they're built around that kind of cast of characters rather than, than one. And I think that you've got to have that kind of like team sport mentality for it to necessarily fit in. Definitely, definitely. Uh, moving on to Kingpin, came out in 96, a Farrelly Brothers product. Very familiar with them down here in the, uh, in the Ocean State. But Kingpin, and actually we'll group this together with Tin Cup, because these are two movies I've seen, but I have not seen them in a long time. So I might need uh, Dave, I might need you and Mike to carry the weight on this one, because I have not seen, I haven't seen them in a long time. I have seen Kingpin, I've seen Tin Cup, but it's been a while. So when I saw Kingpin, Kingpin is, to me is a lot, like a lot of the other uh, Fairly Brothers movies. Is that I know it's supposed to be funny, but it just I, it either went over my head or I didn't quite get uh, didn't feel like I was in on the joke um, when I first saw it. But I remember it just being so so much over the top. Um, but I know like my older cousins loved it. Would play it on re- on on repeat. Would be quoting from it when we'd be on family vacations. But it was one that I think just went over my head. I think I was probably about five or ten years too young when it came out. Uh, I will tell you right now, I did like Kingpin, but the only Farley Brothers movie I'll actually watch again and again is Dumb and Dumber. It's the only one. I love Dumb and Dumber. And it's mostly, not mostly because there's also Rhode Island connections there. Like, you know, they drive by the Big Blue Bug and they live in Providence and uh, they mentioned Cranston. So, like, there's, there's a lot of Rhode Island ties in there, as you can expect. But I think it's also insanely quotable. Nothing sports in that movie, though. Um, Dave, are you, are you a Kingpin fan? Have you seen Kingpin? So I haven't seen Tin Cup, but I have seen Kingpin. Okay. Um, and Kingpin, I'm with Mike on this one, actually. I watched it, and like I know some parts are supposed to be funny, but I don't think this movie is overly funny at all. I think it's more serious. And like you can tell the jokes are kind of coming off as, all right, let's try to inject some humor. But for the most part, this is honestly, it plays to me as more of like a, almost like a weird redemption story of like a fake bowler. Um, and it's just very strange. Like one guy's Amish and uh, obviously uh, Woody Harrelson loses his arm and becomes like uh, crippled from, for bowling. But um, it's just like, it's just a very weird concept, which is obviously like the Farrelly brothers. Like that's kind of their, their alley. But uh, this is just a weird movie. Like I didn't find it overly funny. I really didn't laugh that much at all. Yeah. Tin Cup, on the other hand, um, this is one of those where my dislike of Kevin Costner really comes into play because I'm not, like, a big fan of Tin Cup. It's it's fine. It's good enough. Um, I think Kevin Costner ultimately made the right decision turning down Shooter McGavin because I'm not sure how effective he would have been in that role. But Tin Cup, he did a serviceable job in that, from what I remember. This one, I actually, I put Tin Cup kind of in the same category as Bull Durham. And I, I say this with the caveat of Bull Durham is one of my favorite sports movies of all time. Mm-hmm. It's less a sports movie and more a rom-com right. um, that has some sports in it or has a sports connection to it. Perfectly fine movie. I think it's got a good kind of beginning, middle end to it. And to me, the, the scene that just sticks out is that one if, if, where he's just shanking ball after ball after ball after ball into the trap kind of in, in just watching it. It's almost as painful as that opening scene of swingers and listening to him call again and again and again and again. Um, but I think this is one, like it's kind of on that, that repertoire of, of if you need a, a, a mindless date night movie to, to throw in, this is one that should be on the list. Fellas, what do you have to say about D three, the mighty ducks? 
I honestly can't remember. Was D3 the one where they went to the Goodwill Games, or was that D2? Oh, I've never seen D3. It's like, Dave, do you have any input on that? Which one was the one uh, with the like the, the the national team? It was like Norway, I think it was. That's, I, I'm try, that's what I'm trying to remember. If that one was D2 or D3. Obviously, Jake, you can tell it's super, super memorable. D3, uh, having achieved a modicum of fame for their earlier adventures, all the members of the Mighty Ducks hockey team are awarded scholarships to a prestigious prep school, but now they must play in the school's uniform and renounce their freewheeling style for the more disciplined approach of their new coach, Ted Orion. After star player Charlie quits the team, their old coach, Gordon Bombay, must reinvigorate the spirit of the Ducks. Right. Oh. This is I, now. I remember why this one annoyed me because they go. They played in basically the Junior Olympics in D in D two and won the gold medal. And then they go back to some prep school and they can't even uh, score three goals in the opening game against whatever junior varsity team they're playing against. It just never it just rung rung hollow. On a scale of one to ten, one being the lowest, ten being the highest. How little do you think Emilio Estevez wanted to do this movie? I think Emilio Estevez wanted a check. That's true. I think I think it was all about the check, and he's like, you know what? Whatever. Maybe people will like it. And sure enough, uh, they did not. But uh, let's move on from a bad, bad movie to a very polarizing movie. So, fellas, let me ask you. If I were to say, describe Space Jam to me in one word, what word would you use? Nike. <laughs> I would say sponsors. <laughs> <laughs> Dave? Uh, my one word would have been Jordan. That's the only thing I really remember. I know it's like a it's an off-brand thing, but uh, I remember Jordan like as as kind of like the kind of like the linchpin in this whole movie. Which is I mean, I will say this for Michael Jordan. The fact that he had to act against like pretty much a green screen and people in suits the whole time, a pretty decent job for someone who's never acted before in their life. That being said, the movie itself makes no goddamn sense at all. The whole plot is just ridiculous. And save for a great, one of the best cameos of the 90s, and occasional okay Looney Tunes stuff, and, you know, uh, what's his name, Wayne Knight, just completely leaning into the whole sponsorship sellout stuff. It's, it is one of those, I feel like it's kind of in the same vein as the original Mighty Ducks, where... You saw it as a kid, and you probably loved it, and but when you see it as an adult, you're like, "Oh my god, yeah. oh no, <laughs> oh no, what what is this?" <laughs> it's like, yeah, oh boy. <laughs> so well, a couple things on it though, just to know, and and you guys were three or four years old when this one came out, and I think that you need to put yourself into the and understand the appreciation for how big a deal it was, how big a deal Michael Jordan was. And we saw this in Last Dance in, uh, throughout that whole period. But you didn't get to see Michael Jordan play every night. The NBA wasn't on every single game the way that it is right now. If you didn't live in the, in the, the, the Chicago market, you only got to see Jordan play when he was playing in your market. You would get to see the highlights the next morning on SportsCenter. There was no YouTube where they put together the compilations of the best, uh, the, the, the 50 greatest dunks, the 50 greatest fast drives. That's what Space Jam really was, and that's what it represented for, for uh, folks my age grow, or, or sports fans my age growing up. It was a terrible movie, and that, there was no question about that. I don't think anyone went into it thinking that it was going to be a good plot or that you were going to even be able to follow a plot, but it was 
85, 90 minutes of Michael Jordan basically playing against no defense and you being able to see what he was able to do with the basketball and the, the 1995 version of CGI. Yeah, and I think another another cool thing too was you you balance it by like like what Mike said, you didn't get to see Jordan every night. And this was also like a good balance. Like kids were able to watch it with Looney Tunes and you were able to like appreciate the cartoon form and you were appreciate Jordan. Like that's like kind of like a combination of like an adult movie that people like can look at and be like, All right, cool, I get to see Jordan. Like this is much better than like this cartoon movie that I saw a hundred times to my kid on TV or, um, and it also is like, it's almost like the beginning of an era because CGI becomes obviously much more relevant as the years go on. And this is one of the first really big CGI sports movies. It's true. And I give Michael Jordan a lot of credit for acting against, you know, people kneeling down in costumes and, you know, mocap suits and with green screens and, it, uh, he really wasn't talking to real people for almost the entire part of this movie, or the entire length of this movie. But uh, that being said, like Mike said, it pretty flatly, it's a bad movie. <laughs> like it's not. Let's not you know split hairs here. It's a bad movie. It's the the, no. the plot is terrible. It doesn't make any sense at all. No, just you could poke so many holes in it. It's. But at the end of the day, it's, it's some, Michael it, Jordan on a big screen. It's almost, it really, it's, but in my mind, it's almost like a rite of passage. Like, it's almost like, you haven't seen Space Jam, you need to see Space Jam. It's yeah. just something it's, you need to see. It's this just, is the only one on the list that I remember seeing in theaters more than once. Yeah. It's Michael Jordan on the big screen, and you get to see some of those sweet highlights, too, at the beginning. And let's not forget, the soundtrack is also amazing. So, we at least got that soundtrack. Bit. And one of the top five pairs of Air Jordans. That's right. That's true. Um, and I guess in the same vein as, as uh, Tin Cup and Bull Durham, Jerry, Jerry Maguire is not really a sports movie. It's just a rom-com and, you know, kind of drama centered around sports. But I feel like you can't not mention it. 100%. It has to be on a, on a list to, to discuss. If for nothing more than the fact that for the entire year of 1996, it was the only thing that late show co- uh, host quoted. Um, good movie, but one that you could very easily turn Jerry Maguire from a sports agent into a lawyer, and the movie works almost exactly the same. Sports is so secondary to the entirety of it. No, it's true. Dave, have you seen Jerry Maguire? I have, yeah. Show me the money. That's right. Um, Would you guys say that show me the money or you have me at hello ended up being the more enduring quote from this movie? You had me at a low. I'd say that too. Oh, I, oh, I think "Show Me the Money" still carries weight. I think that I, I see more. To, I see more memes on that than I do the other. That's true. It it real. It almost is amazing that those quotes come from the same movie, though, isn't it? <laughs> like, oh, one thousand percent. It's crazy. <laughs> like one is this, like you know, a lot of hubris and like you know, show me the money, you know, going back and forth, screaming, swearing, and then the other one is this really tender, romantic moment, and it's almost like like even right now, like those weren't two different movies that they came from. But sure enough, uh, they were not. Uh, but that was another great, another great Jonathan Lipnicki performance, of course. Uh, one of the few. He was in Stuart Little too. He was in great. He was great in that. Renee Zellweger, Tom Cruise, Cuba Gooding Jr. A lot of good performances in that movie. So, you know, like we said about Tin Cup and and Michael Lude, it's a bull of uh, bull. Of, yeah, bull of Durham. Everybody loves Bull of Durham. Bull Durham. Uh, they're they're more 
kind of like just movies with sports in them, but they have to be mentioned, especially this one since the 90s. Fellas, uh, yeah, Dave? I was going to say, before we move on mm-hmm. to the next year, I actually have a, a trivia question for you guys with Space Jam. All right. Um, can you guys give me your best guess as to how much money Space Jam has made? Over its entire made- over Made from the box office, I should say. From so just the box office or over it's like merchandising too? Box office, no merchandising. Just box office. I'm gonna say Budget was eighty million to give you guys an okay. idea. I'm gonna say two seventy. I'll say I'll say three twenty. Two thirty. Two thirty point four. Uh, I, merchandising I, yeah. brought in over a billion dollars. Yeah. I know merchandising it's made over a billion dollars, which is absolutely insane. But you know what? Space Show Jam. me the money. That's right. Show me the money. Hey, that works. It all ties together. Uh, well, let me tell you what, fellas. There ain't no rule that says dogs can't play basketball because it's Air Bud, and that's 97. Uh, there's been like a billion Air Bud movies, both in theaters and released direct-to-video, but I remember the original Air Bud being, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Watchable? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> hey, you know what? I like dogs, man. You know, I got to see a dog play basketball. What can I tell you? Yeah, these are fun. They were, to me, I don't remember them ever being in theaters. I know they were, um, but these were just like staples on the weekend schedule on Disney Channel. The perfect thing when there was, again, growing up in D.C., it's too hot and humid to actually go outside in July and August. This is like the perfect summer vacation movie to just like pop on if if you see it on Disney Channel as you're looking through. Yeah, I, I will clarify. I did not see it in theaters. I don't, and like you said, Mike, I think you, put, you hit the nail on the head. I uh, don't think I ever saw any of these in theaters. Don't remember them being in theaters. Never saw trailers for them being in theaters. But I will say, ain't no rule saying dogs can't play basketball is an iconic line. So they at least have that in the Air Bud universe. Um, uh, so 1998, uh, there's four movies here. We're getting to the end of the decade. So first off, I got He Got Game. What, what what say we about he got game? I gotta say I haven't seen this one. Um, I remember when it came out. I remember the commercials for it, but I don't remember seeing it. Dave, I've seen a I've seen a little bit of it. I know enough to like Jesus Shuttleworth was Ray Allen, obviously, right. and I'm obviously a big Denzel fan. So that's it's an actually I believe it's in my queue. I forget where it is. I think it's an Amazon for when it comes back on Prime, but. I'm probably gonna end up renting it because I wanna I wanna see it again. Spike Lee directed this, right? I believe and wrote it. I believe yeah. so, yeah. So pretty yeah. good trifecta right there. I'm yeah, I'm sure it's a good movie if Denzel's starring in it and everyone everyone always does mention Jesus Shuttlesworth with Ray Allen. Yeah. Um which is kind of funny and I'd love to see Ray Allen's acting skills again. So that's got an eighty one percent, eighty three percent on Rotten Tomatoes, so it's a generally a pretty revered movie. Yeah, which, by the way, one uh, Ray Allen note I saw on Facebook, a, a friend of mine spotted him today on uh, North Main Street in downtown Providence. Wow. Ray Allen, if you're listening to this, come on the podcast. We'll talk with you about everything you've done. Discuss uh, the Jersey retirement. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, if you want to talk about, you know, any hard feelings with your former players and, you know, leaving the Celtics and all that stuff, you're more than welcome to come on and talk. Air any grievances. Air Anything you want to talk about. Uh, so staying in 98, we have Basketball, which obviously stars uh, Matt. Was it? I always get their names mixed up. Is it Trey Parker and Matt Stone? Trey Parker and Matt Stone. Thank you. Okay, I always get there. I always transpose those names for whatever reason. But, yes, Trey, St- uh, my God, Trey Parker and Matt Stone, the guys who did South Park. 
this is one of those cult classics where, like, obviously, you know, Roger Ebert's not going to be singing the praises of basketball, but I feel like the people, you know, who I interact with on Twitter who have seen this movie generally enjoy it. I have not seen it, but I've heard okay things about it. So the opening credits of this, I think, are one of the smartest pieces of satire in film of the late 90s. They went through and just ripped apart the way that sports teams have no affiliation to anything other than the bottom line. They talk about how the Lakers play in Los Angeles where there are no lakes, how the Jazz play in Utah where music isn't allowed, um, how they, and, and go through over and over all of these different kind of just about franchises picking up and moving at the, the drop of a hat. And that's what the whole movie's premise on. The whole movie becomes this thing about these two guys who want to just keep the purity of this stupid little game that they created in their driveway, and it takes off, and it's on, like, whatever the version of the Ocho or, or whatever it is uh, on ESPN. And it's just just like Book of Mormon and just like some of the uh, – and, and uh, um, a lot of the other parody and, and, and satirical things that, that uh, Parker and Stone have put together – this one did such a good job of, of just holding professional sports feet to the fire. And it was funny. Um, I probably haven't seen it in 15 years, but it, it's one that I, if I see it when I'm flipping through channels or if I see it on Netflix or Hulu, I, I put it into the queue and I, I make sure to watch it before it falls off. Dave, you seen baseball? I have not. Yeah. It's, it's like, like, uh, kind of like what might say, I need to put it on my list. I need to check it out. So after, uh, What's my list now? Cool Runnings. Uh, what's the other one? Uh, big, little Big League. Is that the other one I need to see? They're adding up on you. And then I need to see Basketball, too. All right. So uh, those, I'll put those three on my list. The I believe the only Disney Channel original movie we have on this list is Brink from 1998. Emily's head just turned up. Emily loves Brink. Uh, we talked about that in another episode we did about Disney Channel original movies. Uh, Brink. What? Let's get her thoughts on it. Emily, your thoughts on Brink? Thumbs up. Like Roger Ebert gives it a thumbs up. Uh, yeah. What was it? Pumpin' suds. Yeah, yeah, definitely. How many stars does she give it out of ten? How many stars out of ten? I'll give it an eight. Eight stars out of ten. That is a good review right there. That's a that's a watch. It has to be watched. That is. I have seen Brink though, so it's not like I need to put on my list. What? Have they never seen Brink? I believe they've both. You guys have seen Brink, right? I have not. I just I I believe I have I actually I just pulled it up on Wikipedia right now I remember this this is the one where they go inline skating down like this yeah. massive massive hill and almost get run over by an eighteen wheeler right yes yes now yeah. Emily and I disagree because I love double teamed wow. em- Emily does not like double teamed I think wow. double teamed is a decom classic Disney Channel written movie classic I love I love double teamed um, I think Johnny Tsunami is technically a sports movie right he surfs in it. What? What's the, what is it? Luck of the Irish. I like that. Oh, one. that's a basketball one, starring Lassie from Psych. He's in that. Motocross. Uh, Motocross is another one. I know there's a big one that I'm missing. Is there like a soccer one or a baseball one? Eddie's Million Dollar Cookoff. Eddie's Million Dollar Cookoff. For some reason, I get that mixed up with Max Keeble's Big Move. But anyway, uh, yes, Brink is a good one. Uh, go check it out if you have not seen it. It's two thumbs up from Emily. Eight out of ten stars. You can't go wrong. Finishing out 1998. We have uh, a movie that I want to get your thoughts on, fellas, because I feel like this is one of the more polarizing Adam Sandler movies. The Water Boy, good or bad? 
this one took me when I the first time I watched it, I was like, that was weird and that sucked. As I watch, and this is when it came back a lot when I was in college. This was kind of on the rotation of we're all we're just going to stay in and we're going to drink some Keystone Lights and, and play some bases loaded on the NES. This was one that would be on on the background. And I got to say, by the time I graduated, I'd put this up there as one of the top three or four Adam Sandler movies. Yeah, I like The Water Boy, and I, I think Mike, I took the same trajectory as you did too because I when I first saw it, I was like, "Whoa, I really don't think I like this movie like at all." Um, but I think it's definitely like late peak Sandler. It's cause I think, I think big daddy and the water boy are the last two really good movies he made comedy wise. And those are about 98. So I like the water boy. I think he overplays the character a little bit here and there, but I mean, first of all, Kathy Bates and Harry Winkler are fantastic. Mm-hmm. And I can't tell you how many times I quote the medulla oblongata just out of nowhere. Like I'll just say it to myself and do that stupid, uh, Colonel Sanders voice. But it's a, it, it's not a, I wouldn't say it's a classic, but it is definitely one of, one of Sandler's top four or five of that era, for sure. I, I like The Waterboy. It's, it's not a movie I, I don't think I love it, but I really, really like it. I believe it made about $190 million, Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is. Oh, it was a hit. Yeah. Yeah. It made, it made over four times what Happy Gilmore did. Crazy. Um, but. I, I like this movie overall. Like, I think it's funny. It obviously has iconic lines and, like, the H2O talk. And, like, that's that's big. And, like, people do talk a lot about that. I personally, though, I just can't stand the girlfriend. Like... Oh, yeah, I agree. I think, I think she's so annoying. Like, Vicky? her character yeah. is just so annoying. And, uh, like, Henry Winkler's awesome. Um, his mom is awesome. And I think, I think I'm with you, Jake. And Adam Sandler does overplay the character a lot. And I think this isn't like a great Adam Sandler performance. It's like I think there are moments when he makes you really laugh. Yeah. But I think overall, like it's not one of his stronger performances, even though it's one of the more iconic ones. Gatorade. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I will say though, you know what I noticed that is the last three movies on this list are all like adults playing football, and we didn't see any of that in the the rest of the nineties. I don't know what changed, but. The, all the other ones, there's a couple of kids playing football movies, but from 1990 to 1998, there's, like, no, like, NFL or college football movies that really stuck, or high school football movies, for that matter, because we really touch everything on these three. Waterboy is a college one. Varsity Blues is the next one. That's more of a high school one. Um, or is that high school or college? I haven't seen that in so long. Is it high school? High school. It's high school. High right? school. Yeah. Um, with, uh, with first of all, I don't really like Varsity Blues, and it comes down to I, I hate John Voight. I don't think I've, other than like Midnight Cowboy, I don't think I've ever liked anything John Voight's ever done. No, I'm with you. Like, this is one. So, Varsity Blues came out in like my heyday of high school. I was a, it was the summer between my sophomore and junior year. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, it captured every conversation that you had. And again, remember, there's no, no YouTube, no streaming. So it's like, you see it in theaters and it becomes what you talk about. It just didn't work for me. Like the, to me, it was just so over the top, over hyped sexualization of, of just like this high school crap that was so unrealistic from what high school was really like that I just couldn't get my head around it. And then you throw into the fact that it's like James Vanderbeek playing a quarterback who <laughs> just did not work for me. He couldn't be, he couldn't throw. It just didn't look, it goes back to that Bill Simmons kind of uh, idea. 
if you're going to have an authentic and realistic sports movie, the, the people you cast need to be able to be believable in those roles. Mm-hmm. And Vanderbeek just never did it for me. Also, I also, I almost had a mini heart attack just now because I thought I forgot the replacements, but that came out in 2000. So we're good. We'll, we'll get to that when we do 2000 sports movies. But uh, Varsity Blues, yes, I agree. I don't like James Vanderbeek playing the quarterback. John Voigt is just so ridiculous as the as the coach and just it doesn't do for me dave do you like varsity blues no i don't like it yeah mainly because of john void as a coach like i don't think he's that good in his role and i don't think he's that believable and i like vanderbeek's just okay to me and yeah. one one really weird thing though too is i realized paul walker's in this movie that's right which is like so bizarre because everyone always for me at least i only really know him with fast and furious movies Right. Rest his soul, Paul Walker. Yes. R.I.P. That's right. Uh, So Varsity Blues, don't like it. But I think we have maybe warmer feelings about the last movie on the list came out late, late 1999. That is Any Given Sunday. And it contains probably one of the best athletes, at least fictional athletes, in uh, in movie history. That is uh, Willie Beeman, played by by, uh, Jamie Foxx. I will say, I think the Game of Inches speech is a little bit overplayed and overrated now. But I do. I think any given Sunday is a very good capper to this list. No doubt, this was this was an intense movie, and Pacino was amazing in it. Um, and you you've got a when you look at this list, and you just look at how where you come from, uh, going through like starting this off with you know, the Days of Thunder, like classic, like last nostalgia for the '90s with the big soundtrack behind it to what really kind of set the stage for to getting all the way to something like any given Sunday, which really kind of sets the stage for these big sports dramas um, that we saw a lot of in the 2000s. Things like Friday Night Lights, both the film and the series, things like the uh, uh, moving in and, and, and seeing the way that you grapple it. And I can't remember the name of the, the ESPN uh, fictional um, series about this fictional NFL, which kind of built off of where any given Sunday was and tackled all of the things that were unspoken about the NFL right. in a way that any given Sunday was just starting to get around to. Yeah. I, th- I think this movie obviously is much better than varsity blues. And the, the one thing looking back on it, that makes it obviously that helps it a lot is, they have like a lot of celebrity appearances, but the cast is also is awesome. Like you have a lot of people in different roles. Like you have Aaron Eckhart, who barely does anything. You have Cameron Diaz, Delo Cool J, Jamie Foxx, who obviously mentioned James Woods, Dennis Quaid, and Al Pacino, obviously with his famous speech in the locker room. But like overall, it's just it's a really good movie, and I'd recommend anyone who hasn't seen it, especially if you like football. Like this is a good movie. You should you should be putting it up there with. Uh, I I think there's too much talk. Like Friday Night Lights is a good movie. But I take this over Friday Night Lights. Yeah, I, I, if when we do when when we do the two thousands one, and Mike, you're welcome back for that one. But when we do two thousands, I'm not a big Friday Night Lights fan. I'm, I I love Remember the Titans. I really don't like Friday Night Lights all that much, the show or the movie for that matter. But uh, so if I had to say, guys, give me your top three from this list, what would you say? I can give my top three if you guys need a second. Yeah, I need like one second. Yeah. All right, so I'll give you my top three. So my number three, where was I? I just lost it already. Uh, my number three is probably Jerry Maguire. I like Jerry Maguire a lot. It's a classic, really good movie. Uh, number two for me is A League of Their Own. I love it. As I said, Tom Hanks, Gene Davis, Madonna, uh, they're, they're all really good in it. It's a very fun movie with a, lot of, uh, with a good message uh, tied in there. 
And number one, with a bullet for me, is Happy Gilmore. It's one of my favorite comedies ever. It's one of my favorite movies ever. It's the best Adam Sandler com comedic performance I think I've ever seen. So I got to go with Happy Gilmore. So it's Jerry Maguire, A League of Their Own, and Happy Gilmore. I got to go. I mean, I'm, I'm a baseball fan, so it's, it's, it's a little bit of bias on the list. But I think starting at number three um, is a, a, it's a toss-up between a couple, but I think the one that ends up getting there is Rookie of the Year. Um, in part, just utterly quotable for anyone who kind of came of age my age. Um, right behind that, or, or, or I shouldn't say right behind it, about seven, eight feet ahead of that one uh, is League of Their Own. Um, again, just going back like we were talking before, I think it's one of Tom, uh, Tom Hanks's best roles and it was just written so well and cast perfectly. But number one on this list, I, I said it earlier is, is Sandlot. I think that is the, there are a handful of movies on, or on this list that I'll watch over and over again, but Sandlot is one that I know 30, 40 years from now will still be a part of the, the required viewing for everyone in my family. By you, Dave. This was tough for me. Any given Sunday is kind of close, and then, but I would say I can't even decide between three, the the last one on the list. So I would just say it's a tie between Basketball Diaries and A League of Their Own, and then two for two would be Cool Runnings, and one would be Happy Gilmore. Eh, can't go wrong. Can't go wrong with it. So uh, that is our uh, that is our our ninety sports movie breakdown. Mike Rea of NLPR, thank you so much for joining us. Where can we find you? Uh, you can uh, check out nailpr.cc. Uh, and thank you guys for having me. This is a blast, a good way to spend a Thursday afternoon. Absolutely, absolutely. And we will, uh, we'll be back with you for 80s, 2000s, whenever we decide to do those. We'll, we'll be in touch with that. Dave, where can we find you? Uh, you can find me at David underscore Albiani. Perfect. I'm at Jacob underscore Morocco, the podcast, the CSL podcast. Go check us out there. We're on Spotify. We're on iTunes. We're hosted by Anchor. Go find us all, all of our good stuff there. Dave and I will have our 150th episode coming up on Monday. Uh, so go check us out then. Until then, we will talk to you guys later.